What's happening? Yes. Yes, yes, indeed. So say it with me. Jesus has something good for me today. <laughs> All right, nothing will affect your life like you're thinking. We're talking about moving forward. Anybody want to move forward? All right. One of the worst things you could have in the scripture is for God to leave you the same. Jacob said, do anything, but don't leave me the same. And he laid hold of him, and God changed his name, and in changing his name, he changed his nature. He told him, your identity is your problem, Jacob. Nothing affects us like our thinking. We, as we see and we perceive, that's what we become. Nothing will keep you from moving forward quite like your thinking. Do you know that? Your mind, your heart, your belief system, your paradigms are the biggest barrier to you ever moving forward or becoming anything beyond what you have been. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is to waste your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah? If you've still got, if you got a pulse, you've got a purpose. If you're still breathing, there's hope. So you're not out of time. Who told you that? Jesus never told you that. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're talking about things that help us move forward. And one of the things that's going to help you move forward is understanding that your thinking needs to change. So why is this important? Number one, because your thoughts determine your decisions and your, determ and your decisions determine your direction or your lack thereof. As you think, so you decide. As you think, so you, not, you don't decide. And as you make your decisions, right, your, your decisions are the structure. They're the building points of your life more than anything else. Knowledge is not. Knowledge is not the building point of your life. Decisions are, are, are the building points. There's people that are filled with tons of knowledge but do nothing. They make the decision to do nothing. I've met some incredibly knowledgeable people, especially with scripture, and they know all these things, and they want to give me lectures, and they want to give me speeches, and I'm like, well, why aren't you doing anything, right? You've got all this knowledge, but you don't do anything. Knowledge is, not, knowledge is important, but knowledge without application means nothing. You have to do something with what you know. Your, your thoughts determine your decisions, and your decisions determine your direction, a lot of people don't move at all because they have a belief system that they can't. They have a belief system that they don't have what it takes. They have a belief system that it's not for them. The dreams and the echoes in your heart most often are there from the Lord. Proverbs 23 says, For as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. As you believe and perceive in your heart, so you are. If you believe you're not worthy, chances are you're gonna, that's going to be coming out of your life. If you perceive yourself to be something other than what you truly are, it's going to affect you. Come on. You guys are with me. As you believe and perceive, so you will be. When you, we have to confront the belief systems within us, right? The Bible doesn't speak a lot about the soul. When the Bible speaks about the soul, it uses either the word mind or it uses the word heart, primarily the word heart. You're a three-part being, okay? You're a spirit. That's, you, that's who you are. That's what makes you you. Your spirit is your uniqueness. That's the life that's within you. That's the ruach that God has placed within you. That identity, you know, that merged with the Holy Spirit makes you really come alive. Then you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Every one of us here are equal that way. We all have a mind. We all have a will. We all have emotions. And we all have a body. Three distinct Greek words. Numa is the spirit. Uh, um, suke or psyche is the soul and soma is the body so we're distinct but the problem with us isn't so much in the spirit the problem with the christian most oftentimes is in the belief system within the soul the mind the will and the emotions the spirit is willing but the 
flesh is weak, right? Our spirits are like, yeah, but then all this crazy thinking starts happening and we never do it or we never become or whatever, whatever it may be. As you believe in your heart, so you will be. We have, to be able, we have to be willing as Christians to look at these issues in our own hearts and look at the incongruencies within our heart as it relates to what God is actually saying. The church is notorious for creating theology and doctrines because we cannot manifest what God has promised. Rather than relating to ourselves as the problem or our structures as the problem, we create a teaching that denies the problem, right? That's the, and that's why we can't move forward. That's why we can't, move, we can't get past certain things. We have to be willing to confront the issues within ourselves in order to become what we are. It's called sanctification. You get born again, right? You're justified. You're made spiritually right. But this process of sanctification isn't this process of externals. Don't smoke, drink, or do, or hang out with those that do, right? Stop listening to Jay-Z and going to R-rated movies. That's not sanctification. Sanctification is dealing with all of the incongruencies in your heart. Everything that does not align with this kingdom. Everything that does not align with his purpose and what he is saying. Everything, we have to confront that and we have to be willing to look at that. Right? And look at that to the point to where we're willing to change those things. Or willing to partner with the Holy Spirit to change those things. This is what causes us to become. Sanctification makes us more full. It's like the process of the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, God told them to build a tabernacle. They built a tabernacle. It just means a tent or a dwelling place. They had to come through one door, and they were confronted by an altar. So you come in one way through the sacrifice. It's the message of the gospel laid out in the Old Testament. Many times over is this message laid out. But one of the ways that they worshiped was through the message of the gospel. So the people would come in, and they would come through one door, and they would come to the sacrifice before they could come into the courtyard. You couldn't come in any way you wanted to. You could only come in one way, and you had to come through the sacrifice. Jesus is the door, and Jesus is the sacrifice. The next place they would go to, and particularly if they were priests, is they would go to a bronze laver. They would go to a, la a, a, a basin, a water basin, and it was made out of mirrors. And do you know why it was made out of mirrors? So that while they were washing, they could see themselves, right? So this, is, this is this next point of, the, of their transformation was sanctification. It wasn't just salvation. It was salvation unto sanctification. And so as they were washing, they would, they would see these mirrors, and they would see themselves, they would see the reflection, and then they would move past that, and they would begin to go into the deeper places of worship. But they couldn't go into the deeper places of worship until they went to the sacrifice and until they went through a process of sanctification. 99.9% .9 of all believers are stuck at the level of sanctification. Oh, we think it's all, we got, you know, again, we got these rigid externals, right? It's, and, and I'm all in. I think the moral law needs to be applied. We need to have morality in our churches, but not no morality to the point of legalism where nobody can breathe, right? So I, my wife and I were just talking about this, and, and, you know, where's the church? If you look at the book of Revelation, this is what's happening. And it's important as a Christian that you have this perspective, not, just, not, not so that you can, you know, judge the church, but so that you can discern what's actually going on, right? Jesus is the only one that judges this church. So what, what happens is, is and particularly in our modern culture, when Jesus rebuked the church in the, book of, in the book of Revelation, he rebuked them on two accounts, right? Nicolaitans and Jezebel, right? This is the rebuke. This is the correction. Nicoleo, which means to dominate the people. He corrected them for the church's leadership. He was never correcting the people. You understand this? 
Jesus corrects the leadership. Or what it, what's worse is if he doesn't correct the leadership and he writes upon the church Ichabod, which means no glory. There's lots of churches that are functioning and that are existing that have no glory. The Lord has written Ichabod over them. Oh, they function. They got congregations. They sing songs. They dance, skinny jeans, smoke machines, the whole nine, right? Whatever it is they got going on. But there's no glory, right? Doesn't mean God's in it. He's put no glory over the door. When God is dealing with the church, he deals with the leadership. And the way he deals with the churches is he deals with the Nicoleo, the dominating of the people. You choke the life out of my people with these legalistic structures and the way that you approach them and the way that you teach them. The second one was Jezebel, which is licentiousness, where all sorts of moral corruption was tolerated within the church. Right? Listen, people are going to sin. There's a difference between people sinning and the leadership going, hey, it's okay, right? Smoke weed and move in with your girlfriend. That's great. We have churches that actually are endorsing this in the modern era. I know it's shocking. It's not about people sinning. People are going to sin. People are broken. But the leadership cannot compromise the standards of these things onto the congregation. The leadership cannot be so stifling that the people cannot grow and they're choked out without any kind of grace to breathe from. And then at the same time, we can't go, everything goes. Anything goes. Woo! We're all loved by God. Woo! Those are the two rebukes in, in, in the book of Revelation. Dominance and licentiousness. Right? And it's not licentiousness from the congregation. Look. You know, we're sinners. You know, people, most people are in different places. Look, we're sons and daughters, but most people are still broken. They're trying to figure it out as they move forward, right? People are trying to figure this out as they move forward. It's always there. You know, I know many people I've married that were living together, and I never told them, hey, you guys need to get married. You're living together. When they come to me, I tell them. But I don't walk up to them going, hello, I'm the Holy Spirit police. I just like to shine the light of truth upon you. But when they come to me, I tell them. Like, are you Christian? Yeah. Are you living with her? Yeah. Well, you know what the scripture says about that? Yep. I'm like, if you like it, put a ring on it, bro. Let's move on. Right? God will not bless this relationship until you reconcile it. You can exist together. God loves you, but there will not be a prosperity in that relationship until it's reconciled. And so God's covenant blessing will not come over this marriage until you come under his blessing. Right? Doesn't mean he condemns them. And they're like, well, we just have all these problems in our relationship. I'm like, because you're living together. You know, I've met, married several people that way. Several people that way. What's Nicoleo? I was part of a congregation that made people separate for a year. I, I, I would have people come to our church and they would, be they would be living together. They'd have two kids and the church would refuse to marry them until they moved out, lived separate for, two years, for one year, and then they would marry them after a year. I'm like, they got kids, Right? These people, these people they, got, they got kids. What, what, you know what I'm saying? They, they both work jobs. Do you, do you understand what kind of disruption? You're, you know, Nicoleo, you're, you're choking these people out to where they can't breathe, right? And at the same time, we can't kind of stand over here and say, hey, it's okay. You know, you guys just do any way you want to do it, you know, whatever way you want to do it. Now, look, guys, let's look, you have to reconcile this. You have to come to the place that if you're following Christ, this has to be reconciled. This is kind of like the, 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 the position that we fall in. This is where we're at. Don't ask me why I jumped off on that. I do not know. But anyway, um, this is what's going on a lot of times. And so this is where we have to be. We have to be a people of grace. But at the same time, we cannot compromise and be so loose in our standards. We have to allow people to be who and what they are. I had a guy one time. He was our worship leader. He moved in with a girl. This is a hilarious story. 
and he moved in with a girl. When we found out about it, we had to go and talk to him and say, hey, man, you know, um, you know, you, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this, right? He's like, oh, I know. He's like, look, man, you know, she didn't have a place to stay, so I just let her move in with me. And uh, I'm like, okay. And, uh, and so I'm like, well, we can't have you leading worship and living with her, right? right? You're like leading the band and living with her. And so he's like, okay. He's like, well, let me take a couple of weeks off and, and figure it out. And, and so I, you know, I had a nice talk with him and trying to say, look, dude, you're a believer. You, you're, you're claiming these things. If you want to be with this chick, then marry her, right? Or not, you know, but you can't do this and do this. And he came to me about, I don't know, it was about a month later because he took a month off. And he said, um, yeah, I just feel like I want to continue ministering to her for a while, and I just don't want to um, do this. I'm like, yeah, you're ministering to her, right? <laughs> ministering to her night and day. <laughs> laying on of hands, yes. But, you know, it's just where it's at. You know, you got to give people a little, like, say, you got to challenge them to become who they are, right? You can't force people to become who they're not, who, they're, who, they, who, who they don't want to be, Right? Because, because, so why, why, is, why is changing the way that we're thinking important? And I'm off, I'm, I'm back on the notes, okay? So here I go. So I'm back on the notes. Because your thoughts determine your decisions. The second reason it's important is because to change your thinking is the key to life and peace. So, okay, here we go, Romans 8, 6. It says, if the sinful nature controls your thinking, there will be death or lifelessness, right? Not, no life is going to come so long as you're being driven by your sinful nature. doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means if you continue to think and live as the world thinks and live, Christian, don't expect life to be produced. It won't. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, your thinking, your thought process, or the direction of your life, there will be life and peace. This is important, right? So we have to change the way that we think. We want life and peace. What the Bible promises, we have to begin to go the way that he says, do the things that he says, and then allow the Lord to reflect and change the way that we think. A lot of people are OCD, right? You start thinking about things and your thoughts go all over the place. They never learn to control their thoughts. It's interesting how that happens. Right? We need to, we need to be, be able to recognize that our thinking is, when, when our thinking is crazy, I do inner healing a lot, and people ask me, they're like, what are my steps? If I wanted to do inner healing, what are my steps? I always tell them two things real quick. Number one, find pain. And number two, find crazy. Right? Where's the pain in your life? Go back as far as you can and march it forward. Let's find the tracks of pain. Where are the moments of pain? And there's going to be more than one. Then the second thing is crazy. Where's crazy? Right? Do you act crazy? You start thinking and your mind goes all over the place and you just become obsessed and you're just, where's that coming from? That's not normal. That's, that's coming out of brokenness. You understand that, right? So you want to get healed, find, cra- find pain, find crazy. That's step one. And we all have pain and we all got crazy, right? If you don't think you do, let's, just bring, let's bring your spouse or somebody you know, that re- you know very, very well and they'll tell you, Kevin's got crazy. I've been dealing with my crazy for years. I could tell you stories. I could spend a half a day telling you all the crazy that God's brought me out of. I'm well acquainted with crazy, and I'm well acquainted with pain, right? Like the X-Men movie. They asked him, oh, do they say, do you, do you know this? And then he goes, no, but I know crazy. You remember that? With a, I don't know if you know that scene or not, but anyway, sort of, sort of. So what influences our thinking, our sin and our brokenness? So the way that we think, why do we end up in these places? What's, what's causing these things to, 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 why do we think this way? And here's, here's Romans, Romans 7 says, I do... I, I long to do what God's will wants me to do, but there is something else. Everybody say it with me. Deep inside of me, Deep inside of 
that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is within me. I want to be God's servant, but instead I find myself enslaved to sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, one person, right? We are Christians. We should tell the truth, right? So some of the things we should try to do. Um, What's happening here is what, what causes and affects our thinking most of the time for people is wounds and pains and traumas. Right? Childhood wounds, pains, and traumas, you all got them, so don't worry. Don't look over your shoulder and go, yeah, he's got them, or she's got them. No, all y'all got them. Right? These are the things that affect our thinking. We get hurt, we get wounded, we get pain, some loss, the absence of, of, the absence of good things or the presence of bad things from our childhood. There are needs in your life that didn't get met, and then there are things that happened to you directly that you witnessed or are a part of that have affected you. What happens is it produces a shock in the soul. The soul opens up. Negative emotions comes in, and lies come in, and the devil uses that for the rest of your life and manipulates you. That's how the game is played. That's why you dance like a puppet. Every time somebody makes you feel worthless, you go... And you wonder where that reaction is coming from. Different things. It doesn't have to be that one. What affects our thinking? You think that nobody loves you. Well, who told you that? You think people don't like you. Well, who told you that? You, know? you think that you're never going to make it. Well, who told you that? You think that nothing's ever going to change. Who told you that? We're incepted. Lies are incepted. Lies don't come to our mind. They come into our soul. Lies are an inception, and the lies that exist within a soul are what are dominating and manipulating your life. You can't, I, tell, I told the deliverance class, I said, you can't read it away, you can't pray it away, you can't community group it away, you can't therapy it away, it has to be healed. And unless it's healed, it will stay there. You can keep crazy, you can keep crazy. Crazy's been with people, I tell people this all the time, I say, you can keep crazy. Crazy's been with you for 40 years, you know, nobody's telling you to give up your crazy. You don't have to give up your crazy. You can keep crazy. It's only if you want to, you know, but this is what's affecting your thinking. It's trying to make you aware of the things that affect the way that the, the, the things that make the reason, particularly wounds of the heart affect the thinking in the mind and create compulsive behaviors. That's what happens. So your wounds in your heart, rejection, not worthy, value and worth, some form of that. You get in a circumstance where rejection, value and worth, you know, or fear, and, and, and those emotions just overtake you and start affecting the way that you think. And then all of a sudden, the way that you think starts giving you a compulsive reaction, and you start going, where's the Jack Daniels and where's the haagen That's what ends up happening, Right? And you wonder why that compulsive behavior is there. That compulsive behavior is a reaction to the wound that affects the way that you think that creates this behavior. That's what happens. So what, what's causing your psychotic behavior, right? What's causing, this, what's causing this madness? What's affecting and filtering our thinking? Well, yeah, there's a lot of different influences, but that is definitely one. Second thing that affects our, our, our thinking is cultural immersion. Bible says sin, the world, and the devil. These are our enemies. So we're in a fight. And it's like a tag team match with three Solomon Grundy kind of or Andre the Giant kind of characters. We're fighting these giants. We're fighting the sin and the brokenness that's within us. We're fighting a culture, a world that, in which we're immersed in, a way of thinking. And we're fighting the devil, right? That's what we end up having to do. This is what confronts us. What the enemy is trying to get you to do is live a life of quiet desperation. That's what he wants. He wants you to just be quiet and sit over there and be longing. 
right? I think it was Thoreau said most people die of, uh, die of quiet desperation. They die deaths of quiet desperation. Quietly desperate for something to change. Quietly desperate for something different, but never coming to the place where they want it to change. That's what the devil tries to do. He neuters the church and tries to put them in a position of quiet desperation. Effectivelessness. No effect. Salt without savor. Our buildings are full. Our temples are raised. You know, our songs are you know, winning Grammys, but that doesn't mean anything. Our, what are we affecting from the kingdom perspective? That's what we have to do. We're, not, we're making a product that's acceptable within the, within the world's culture. That's fine. But are we acceptable within the kingdom culture? Is what we're doing producing the life that Jesus wants us to bring? That's the question. And that's the question nobody wants to look at. That's the, that's the question the churches don't want to look at. And that's the question that the individual Christian doesn't want to look at. We don't want to look at it. We want to stick our head in the sand and act like we don't know. When we do, we're challenged. We won't stand and give an account whether our songs won Grammys. But we will give an account whether we brought people to Christ and whether we manifested his glory in the earth and we fulfilled the purposes that God has laid upon our hearts. That we will give an account for. Amen. High five, front row, right on. Gold star. Cultural immersion. For everything that is in the world, the selfish desire of the flesh, the selfish desire of the eyes, and the, selfish, and the pride of life does not come from the Father, but from the devil. What is this talking about? Money, sex, and power. All y'all want it. You do, right? We all want money, we all want sex, and we all want power or some form of control. It, the, one of the worst feelings in the world is being helpless. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? So, it, so money, sex, and power are not the problem, right? I, I tell guys this all the time. You know, look, if, if, you're, if you want sex, get a job, love Jesus, and take a wife and have sex, right? It's not that complicated. Everything else is the complexity. The problems in relationships are not male and female. They're pride and self-centeredness, an unwillingness for one to sacrifice for the other. Any, any problem within the marriage can be solved. I don't care who you have. If you guys love each other and are mildly attracted you can have a, to each other, you can have a successful relationship if you're willing to both conform unto Christ and to conform into the sort of uh, servitude or loveness of the other person for the common good of the relationship. Any marriage can succeed. Marriages succeed when self-centeredness comes into the program, when it becomes all about me and my feelings or all about me and my feelings. My feelings at the expense of you or your feelings at the expense of me. Marriage isn't magic, somebody said, it's managed. You manage it. You manage it. And it hurts. <laughs> so there's nothing. <laughs> it hurts. So money, sex, and power are not the problem. Money, sex, and power are, are not necessarily evil things. The Bible is not calling those things out as evil. It's calling the selfish desire of them evil. It uses an old-fashioned word called lust. But really that word means selfish desire. So anytime we use the word lust, everybody immediately activates and thinks it's sexual. No, it's selfish. So the self-centered, self driven desire for money is sin. It's not money. It's money for what purpose? Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord your God has given you the power to obtain wealth to establish his covenant. You have the power to obtain wealth. Every single one of you does, but not to your own end. The power to obtain wealth is to establish his covenant in the land. 
He has no issue with money, right? Bible says if you're, if you're if, you know, if you're, if, get married if you burn, right? Right? That's what happens. I don't even want to go there. I'm being pulled into another direction. I'm like, I, I am not going there. No, I'm not. No, another day I'll go there. You know, power is another thing. There's nothing wrong with power and influence. But power and influence, so it's all about glorious me and that you can dominate people, that's not what power is for. Power is to bring glory to God and create common good. There's nothing wrong with these things. What the devil wants to lie to us on is say that money, sex, and power is sinful. Money, sex, and power is not sinful. Let me look into the camera, right? Money, sex, and power is not sinful. The selfish desire of money, sex, and power is sinful. That's what's sinful. Taking advantage of people sexually or emotionally, that's what's sinful. It's sex without the covenant and the communion. That's what's sinful. It's selfishness. I'm going to love the one you're with, right? You don't, and they're never going to put a ring on it. I, you know, I'll blow, the, blow it out of the water. So what, they, what guys do, ladies, is they're going to be with you for a while, you know, and then they might move in with you for a while, and they might want to give you a ring, you know, and what they're doing is they're buying themselves time, and before you know it, you're four or five years deep with this guy, and he's not committed, nor does he have any intention to be committed. If he wanted to commit to you, he would have done it long before. So don't give up the cow, right? What is that, what is that saying? Why should he buy the cow if he can get free milk, right? You understand what I'm saying? Right? And, it's, it's all, and, we, and, and if you're a guy and you do that, the Bible tells you you're a manipulator. The Bible has very harsh words for men who take advantage of women in that way. Very direct words. It says you're like a creeper who sneaks into the back window of houses and takes advantage of the unknowing. Yeah. So it's like, well, women do it too. Well, if you're a woman that does that, then the same thing applies to you. Right? I've yet to meet a woman where the guy goes... I just wish she would marry me. I've got to meet that dude. I don't know where that dude's in a relationship where he's begging the woman to marry him. I've got to meet that guy. He doesn't, I don't, you know, this doesn't exist. But we're, this is what God has called us to be. We're called to be this person. The way the Christian handles sex is to be different than the world. The way the Christian handles money is to be different than the world. The way the Christian handles power is to be different than the world. Our thinking needs to change. None of these things are evil. The devil wants you to think that these things are evil because, again, he doesn't want you in positions of influence. But the Lord does. He doesn't want, he wants, poverty is of the devil. I don't care what anybody tells me. The Bible says that he makes his habitation a wasteland. Where the devil is, there's poverty. Poverty is not of God. Jesus needed money, snapped his fingers, and a fish came up and gave him gold. He didn't need it because it was around him. He could manifest the glory of the kingdom. It's like he was poor. He became poor that you might become rich. And the reason that he became poor is to restore you to your rightful position. Right? It's not about money. It's about money for the purposes of his glory. It's for his glory, Christian. Right? Okay, so, oh, but, so what happens is not everything you think, so we have to change the way that we think. Not everything you think is true. Can I, can we, can I get a witness? Right? So the things that work against us, we have a broken nature. We have a culture that thinks differently than we are. And then we have a devil that likes to drop mind bombs on you. Right? So what the enemy does, so the devil cannot make you think anything. 
What he does is he creates atmospheres to provoke influence. He will create an atmosphere of rejection to provoke the influence of the brokenness that he knows you carry. So he'll put you in a place where you're just flat out rejected in order to manipulate you from the point of the brokenness that's within you. That's what he does. He'll put you in a position where the cultural influences become the dominating thing in your life. He will lure you away. Lure you away. That's what he does. He can't make you do anything. He can only create an atmosphere. He lies and reinforces, his rea- and reinforces the lie with reality, but reality is not true. You're never going to succeed, and then he'll reinforce it with something, right? And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, yeah, just like my dad said, you know, or some crazy nonsense. Not everything you believe is true, right? He puts mind bombs on you. He'll say things like, it's hopeless. Everybody say, who told me that? Right, come on, help me out. Who told me that? Right, he says it'll never change. Carmen's got it. Let's just, come on. Christian, you will open your mouth in this church. He'll say, it will never change. Right. You'll never finish. It's not worth it. People don't like you. People don't want to be around you. You're flat out ugly. That's right. (laughs) Why show up? Why go? It doesn't matter anyway. He'll tell you lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. Jesus didn't tell you that. He loves you, therefore you're loved. Period. End of story. He wants you, therefore you're accepted. It does not matter if anybody accepts you. The one who accepts you is Jesus, and his opinion is the only one that matters. You should walk around like a, like a queen or a king. Like, I don't, nobody else, nobody here may love me. Nobody in this world may love me. I may not even love myself, but Jesus loves me, and that is where my value and worth comes from. It doesn't come from anything else. Doesn't come from your past, doesn't come from the opinions of people, places, things. Your opinion of yourself is irrelevant. The only opinion is God's opinion of you. And He loves you on your worst day, and He's for you. When everything's against you, and when you're against you, Jesus is for you. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. He wants to tell you lies. So the enemy is creating an atmosphere to reinforce it. He spends his whole life studying you. They're called familiar spirits, they know everything about you. They know your ups, your downs, your weaknesses, your brokenness, and he plays to see what you'll do. He'll keep playing tunes to see which one you'll dance to. It's true. What the enemy does is one of the things he'll do is he'll create these atmospheres, these pressure against you. It's just important so that you can understand what the devil is doing and so you can recognize that's not God, right? So that you can understand this isn't Jesus doing this. Well, God's just doing this to me. Well, who told you that? This is what the devil does. This is how he works. I'll show you how God works. One of the things the enemy does is he overwhelms you. This is how he gets, one of the things that happens to you. This is what affects our thinking is we get overwhelmed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right? He can't stop you, so he'll overrun you. I was watching this World War II. I like World War II uh, movies. And they're, um, the Japanese were on the island of Saipan. And they couldn't stop the Americans. They were, they were pushing to the end of the end. And there was like 3,000 Japanese left on the island. Right? And so they couldn't do anything. And so they do a bonsai charge. And they just overwhelmed the Americans, right? It was like three to one, the Japs died because they overran the Americans, so it was like a bit of a bloodbath. But the effect upon the Americans, they, they were rattled. 
They didn't know when this was going to happen again. They didn't know what was going to go on. And they got very, very confused. The soldiers couldn't sleep at night because they didn't know if something, they didn't know, they had no idea what was coming at them again. They're like, is this going to happen again? We don't know. You know, and the enemy couldn't stop them, but the enemy, so the enemy tried to overwhelm them. And that's something that happens in our own lives. The enemy tries to overwhelm us. And while these things, you know, we end up winning, but we're really rattled. We're like, whoa, you know, and we're confused, right? We get really confused. That's, that's the result of being overwhelmed. This is how he works, and it affects our thinking, and we get really, really confused. And, we, and another way he does is he tries to burn your clock. <laughs> he tries to put wasting time things around you, right? And he tries, and this is a big one. Say this, I'm going to help you. Here's some therapy. Say it with me. Heaven, Heaven. is not moved with human empathy. Heaven is moved by faith. As Christians, we're taught that it's like, oh, it's empathy, it's empathy. You just feel, you just feel. Heaven doesn't move by empathy. God does not expect you to be moved by empathy. Now, empathy is a good thing, but it doesn't mean, but the empathy activates when the Lord tells me to. Just because there's a hurting person doesn't mean I need to attend to them. <gasps> you know how many people Jesus walked past that were hurting? Right? The most empathetic man that ever walked the planet is the Son of God himself. But he didn't attend to every single person. He attended to the right ones and the most effective ones. We think just because we feel empathy, we're supposed to do it. Listen, the enemy knows how to manipulate your empathy, Christian. He knows how to distract you. And, to say, and then you start feeling bad, right? As a pastor, I get it all the time. People want to instruct me and tell me what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. I'm like, that's great. But Jesus isn't telling me that. And if that seems unempathetic to you, I don't make any apologies because my job is not to obey my empathy or your empathy. My job is to obey what he's telling me, Right? And I don't want to sound cold or callous because that's certainly not what I am. But I try to process what God is saying. This, again, is, this is a developmental thing that we have to have with the, with the Holy Spirit. And all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. So how do, we, how do we conquer? How do we overcome? This is the question. So this is how the enemy is working to affect our thinking and to really, the, the ultimate goal of the enemy is to completely dismantle the church. That's his goal. To, his goal, he doesn't care if we meet he could care less. He's not anti-Jesus. He's anti-Christ. He's anti-anointing. He's not resisting the church. He's resisting the anointing. You understand that? The anointing is the empowerment to become. The anointing is the empowerment to achieve. The anointing is the empowerment to bring forth. The devil is not interested in stopping the church. He stops the anointing. And he uses churches to stop the anointing. There are no greater opponents to the inbreaking of the anointing than certain denominations. They will oppose it at every turn. They will speak against it at every turn. I always ask the pastor when they tell me that, oh, I don't believe in that. I'm like, oh, well, do you, do you understand what antichrist means, right? You have to ask yourself what spirit you're of, you know, when you resist the anointing of the inbreaking of power and the empowerment of the people to become, right? When you're neutering them and having everybody sit down and be quiet, the devil isn't against that. We think that the success of our churches means that God is favored upon that. <laughs> the Bible says those who live godly in this world will suffer persecution. I would say those who are advancing the kingdom suffers violence. The ones that are moving forward are the ones that are, the ones that are being bombarded are the ones that are actually doing something. Just a thought. We conquer and we overcome. We're more than conquerors. The enemy is not going to resist you, Christian, in your common everyday life. doesn't bother him at all. Take your kids to school. 
have your nice little happiness. He doesn't care. You'll have a little bit of conflict here and a little bit of conflict there. And yeah, he may try to dismantle things. He might be most likely he's going to try to wound your children because he wants to affect another generation. That's how demonic he is. But you're not going to really suffer persecution. Your life isn't going to explode. And you certainly won't experience the power of God because that's what happens. The enemy is not resisting the common. He just isn't. The parking ticket is not demonic oppression. Right? It just isn't. I didn't get a raise this year. The devil's opposing me. Worse than that is God doesn't love me. So, of course, Jesus loves you. That's another story. How do we heal and deal with our... With our how, do we, how do we conquer? Say it with me. We deal... I'm not going to spend any time on this, but I'm just going to tell it to you. We're going to deal and we heal our junk. Right? Now, I want you to say this. What I don't deal with will deal with me. What I don't deal with will deal with me. That's right. If you don't deal with the roots of your fear, your fear will deal with you. You don't deal with the roots of your brokenness, that brokenness will deal with you. You don't deal with the roots of crazy, crazy will deal with you. Right? Doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. You got lots of high and tight Christians, again, suit and tie, buckled up, white shirts, you know, everything looks great on the outside, and they fall like, like dominoes. Like dominoes. Like, wh- why is that? Because what you don't deal with will deal with you. That's number one. Number two, you have to fuel, fuel your faith. So how do we deal and how do we change and transform our thinking? One of the ways is deal and heal your junk. That's another story for another time. So, but a more practical, easy one today is say it with me. Fuel my faith. Fuel my faith. Right, you have to fuel your faith. What does that mean? You have to create a margin for worship, reading, and prayer. When I get up in the morning and I spend time with Jesus, not just telling Jesus about my day, but I listen to him and I honor him and I worship him and I spend time with him, it is amazing the clarity that I have for the rest of the day. It is amazing the confidence that I have for the rest of the day. It is amazing how nothing moves me, right? But then when I don't and a period of time goes by, you know where I find myself? Confused. And I find myself guessing and I hate guessing. I don't want to guess. And the reason is, is because I'm not fueling or feeding my faith. And it's not this check the boxes thing. Our first call is to worship him. It's just love him. Lord, I just thank you. For no particular reason at all, I thank you. The Bible tells us to do it in the night watches and it tells us to command the dawn. The most powerful thing you can do is get up a little early and just worship Jesus. doesn't matter if anybody in your house does. I go out to the garage, right? I have a garage so I walk out there, and there's no AC in the garage, which I'm going to try to deal with that this summer. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I go out there, and I spend time with the Lord. And my wife will come out and with coffee going, what are you doing out here? And I'm like, I'm talking to Jesus. That's what I'm doing out here, right? So that's, that's what I do. You've got to find your space, and you've got to find your margin. And you begin to talk to the Lord. You begin to listen to him. You begin to dream with him, right? And there's just all these different things. Like I'll go out there and I'll read or I'll read different things. I'll try to edify myself and build up. And then I find stuff that just inspires me or just touches me. And I give him a glory for it. I say, thank you, Lord. You know, like this morning, I'm trying to like worship him. And I'm like, well, I don't have anything to really, you know, there's always something. And I'm just like, for no particular reason at all, Lord, I just want to thank you. For no reason at all. I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you are. My allegiance is to you and to you alone, right? For no particular reason at all. 
And you start your day even with simple things like that. Get yourself a book that builds you up. Read your scripture. Get the Bible app on your phone. The Bible app will give you the verse of the day. The verse of the day. You know what I've been reading? The One Minute Bible Student Edition. I found it in my son's room as we're unpacking boxes. I'm like, hey, this will come in handy. So when I'm walking around the house, I just flip open the One Minute Bible Student Edition. And I read the One Minute Bible and I put it down. Right? Or I'll read the message of the day on my thing when I'm not doing the other things that are requiring things of me. You know, it's not just, I don't just study for this I, and, or try to engage this. I try to build my own personal relationship, and so do you. This, this will help you tremendously, right? Overcoming the common things of, that, that go on around you. Yeah, but you've got to create a margin for that. Say it with me. I cannot make time. I must take time. Time cannot be made. It can be taken right? And the easiest way, go to bed a little earlier so you can get up a little earlier, right? But I like watching Netflix till midnight. Okay, well, let's watch it till 1030. Set your clock and use that 90 minutes to give you 60 minutes in the morning where you can spend time with Jesus. You got to create a margin to do that, whatever. And you got to find that space. We all have different spaces. Jesus had a garden or he had a mountaintop. He knew those types of environments when he would go to spend time with the Father. Why? Because he needed to. He needed that connection because he came as man. And not only was he coming as man, he was modeling for us. The Bible says, command the dawn. Speak into the womb of the dawn. I, when I read that, the first thing that came to me was the dawn has a womb. The dawn gives birth to the day. And the prophet is saying, command the dawn. Speak into the womb of the dawn. I speak blessing in the name of Jesus over this day. I speak prosperity and hope in the name of Jesus. I speak victory in the name of Jesus. Over the, try it out. Try it out. You have power. You're a believer. Rise to the level of your birth. Fuel your faith. Two people trying to influence you, the devil and the Holy Spirit. They're not equal. Holy Spirit's far greater. When the demonic's trying to influence you, it's called temptation. When the Holy Spirit's trying to influence you, it's called inspiration. Both of them are appealing to your nature. The devil's appealing to your old nature, and the Holy Spirit's appealing to your new nature. And the question is, is which one are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to the fear that appeals to your old nature, or are you going to listen to the faith that appeals to your new nature? That's a question. You have to create a margin. And the second thing, you need to free our minds. We need to take thoughts captive. Don't have enough time. Take the thoughts captives. Tear down strongholds. A stronghold is a lie that you believe that is influencing your behavior. That's a stronghold. What lie do you believe that's influencing your behavior? You're finding crazy. You've got to look at your life and say, why, am I, why do I react like that? Why do I freak out when stuff like this happens? Where's the lie that causes me to react that way? Right? That's the question. We're to tear down these strongholds. And then the last thing, and we'll go to here. Shelly's going to be proud of me. I'm in time and I'm on time. That's right got three minutes by her clock. She's like, you're going to be able to do this? I'm like, you're going to be proud of me, Shelly. You're going to be proud of me. <laughs> Fuel your faith. Free your mind. Discover what these lies are. Get rid of these lies. The, the, the first step in getting rid of lies is finding out that they're actually there. That's the first thing. Third thing is focus your mind or focus your heart. Say it with me. No one can make me the person I don't want to be. Nobody can make you the person you don't want to be. If you don't want to be that person, you're not going to be it. You just won't. The question is, who do you want to be? 
That's the question. I, I used to be the person where I, when I would try to follow the Lord, and I had a completely wrong context of what it meant to be a Christian. I saw it more like religiously, and so I tried to be that guy. Oh. Um. To the left. I was that guy, right? Fire scripture like a machine gun. Do, 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 do. You know, I could rip it out there, M60, you know, just like firing it out there. That was me. But then I realized that that doesn't produce the life. That all that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with discipline. There's nothing wrong with doctrine. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not against that. But that doesn't produce the life. The communion produces the life. And the truth of our identity is what produces the life. So the question is, is who are you? Your sons and daughters. That's number one. Do you know who you are? The Bible speaks about the helmet of salvation. It is my mind and my heart, my understanding is shielded with the knowledge that, of who I am. I am shielded with the understanding that I'm loved on my worst day. I'm shielded with the understanding knowing that I'm accepted whether anybody accepts me or not. I'm shielded with the understanding that I'm a son of the highest and I, have a, and I am an heir of this world and the one to come and that I am in spiritual authority and I have an inheritance and by God I'm going to pursue it. And I'm, I'm shielded with that knowledge. That's the helmet of salvation. You understand that? That your mind is guarded with nothing else. Nothing can penetrate that because you're not going to tell me what I am because I know what I am. You're not going to tell me I'm not You're not going to tell me. The devil's not going to tell me that, right? He affects me in different ways, but he's not telling me that. He's like, all right, take that one off the list. He's past that now. Let's see what else we got. Overrunning has been my latest. That's, been, that's where I've been realizing this is a bonsai charge, man. This devil's just bonsaiing me, man. And now I'm the guy going, What? What's coming next? <laughs> so do you know who you are? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb is the positional authority that you have as a Christian. This is your overcoming power. The blood of Jesus in you makes you a son or a daughter of the highest. And that is the enabling power of the overcoming force that you are. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of the testimony is you know what you're talking about. It means to testify means you speak truth. We think testimony is I got saved in 1992. I got saved, and that's how I overcame the devil. And there's my testimony. We're blood of the lamb and the word of testimony. That's not what it means. The blood is the positional authority you have as a son, the positional authority you have as a daughter, and the word of your testimony is what you're saying. It's all right? So know who you are. What are you called to? I got 10 seconds, Shelly. I got 10 seconds. You put the clock up here, and you're burning my 10 seconds. All right? What are you called to? All right? Your purpose so we have to focus our minds. So if we want to change the way we're thinking, we have to deal with our junk. We have to free our minds from the lies. We have to fuel our faith. And we have to focus. We have to focus. You have to say no to some things. What do you need to let go of? False perceptions? What do you need to let go of? False identities? Who do you need to become to become the person God has called you to be? That's a, that's a tremendous question. Who do you need to become in order to fulfill what God has called you to be? Because who you are right now, or your self-imposed limitation, right? You're a son or a daughter, but you have self-imposed limitations. That self-imposed limitation has to be removed in order for you to become that person that God has called you to be. You got to say no to the zombie, right? The zombies are old life, you know, all this old stuff. What do you need to let go of? And then what do you need to start? I'll read this verse and then we'll pray. Anyone who competes for a prize competes for temporal things. They obtain a perishable crown, but we, we compete for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run, not with uncertainty, and I fight, not as somebody who beats the air, who is just doing all kinds of crazy things, 
but I discipline myself and I bring myself into subjection, lest what I have proclaimed, I proclaim destiny to other people, I should myself be disqualified from it, right? We have to change the way that we think. We have to see ourselves as more than what we are. We have to believe that God has a purpose and an impact for our life. You cannot, lo- you cannot want to be the same. If you don't change the way that you think, you're going to stay the same. You just will. You have to think higher, right? You have to think at a higher plane. Amen? <laughs> Let me say this side. Amen? Amen. Amen? All right, let me pray for you. We're going to take communion. Father, I just thank you for this beautiful group of people. Lord, I speak your blessing into their lives. Lord, I speak that the words that I speak are spirit and life and that they are inspirited, Lord. They are inspired, Lord, to awaken the soul, God, to ignite the heart, Lord, to illuminate the mind, Lord, and to cause strength, kratos, to come into the souls of these people, Lord, that they might arise God, I speak to the dry bones in the valley, Lord, those that have just laid down and just nothing has happened in so long. I just command them to rise and live in the name of Jesus. I speak for the transformation of the mind, Lord, and the freeing from the things. I speak, God, into uh, just the margins, God, to, to begin to know you and commune with you more. And I just thank you for everything that you're doing, and I bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God loves you. We love you. So we bless you. We're going to take communion here at Elevate. So uh, uh, Jody's going to play. I was going to say Shelly because Shelly's been waving at me over there. I mean, that's all. Where's Shelly at? Where is she? Let's all wave at Shelly.